It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. Here's the show. Hello, welcome to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. Today I will be recommending three titles, including the movie Mank, spelled M-A-N-K, which is available to view on Netflix. Also, the Irish miniseries Normal People, available to view through the CBC streaming site GEM. And also the Japanese miniseries Penance, available to view on the library streaming site Canopy. But first, Mank, David Fincher's first movie since 2014's Gone Girl, is one of his most personal and most beautiful. Mank, spelled M-A-N-K, is a biopic of Hollywood screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, written by Fincher's own father, Jack Fincher, who penned the script back in the 1990s and who died in 2003 before his son could direct it. If he'd lived to see the finished article, I'm sure he would be brimming with pride. Set in the 1930s, Mank deals with the screenwriter's efforts to script Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, his 1941 feature debut that really skewered media mogul William Randolph Hearst. Gary Oldman, in a performance every bit as immersive as his Oscar-winning turn as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour, plays the uh, deeply troubled, if uh, no less charismatic, Megowitz. The film itself is shot in black and white and uh, features many titanic Hollywood personalities. L.B. Mayer, Irving Thalberg, and perhaps most importantly, the actress uh, Marion Davies, who was also Hearst's mistress. Uh, Davies is played in the film by Amanda Seyfried, and she's never been better. But what the movie focuses primarily upon is Mankiewicz's relationship with Hearst, who in the film is played wonderfully by Charles Dance, who really looks like the um, the historical figure of uh, William Randolph Hearst, it must be said. And through that relationship between Mankiewicz and Hearst, we come to understand why Mankiewicz wanted to write Citizen Kane. And what we learn is that it had a lot to do with the intersection of politics, power, and Hollywood. Specifically in relation to the 1934 gubernatorial campaign in California, um, in which the powers that be, the Hollywood studios and uh, William Randolph Hearst, interceded to help defeat uh, the candidacy of um, Upton Sinclair. Manx says at one point in the film, after the defeat of Sinclair, he says, and I quote here, if you keep telling people something untrue loud and long enough, they're apt to believe it, quote unquote. And what he's referring to are these uh, phony uh, newsreels, among other dirty tricks that uh, had been made by MGM and paid for by Hearst. Uh, and it's something about which uh, Mank is uh, deeply ashamed and even guilt-ridden because he's pretty much acted 
like a kind of court gesture for these powerful figures. Not powerful in and of himself, but, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a courtier figure whom we frequently see at dinner parties at, uh, at Hearst's mansion, mostly because um, he's a very entertaining guest. But um, what, he, uh, what he witnesses is something that deeply displeases him, and it's something that he, 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 he kind of uses as material uh, in, the, in the screenplay of Citizen Kane to, to uh, as I said earlier, skewer the real-life William Randolph Hearst. So the screenplay of Citizen Kane really turns out to be a kind of weapon being wielded against Hearst uh, by Mankiewicz, and by extension Orson Welles himself, uh, who had his own reasons for doing so. Especially in that it is meant to expose William Randolph Hearst in much the same way that his papers had often cruelly exposed the lives of, of many others. Uh, and perhaps also remind Hearst himself that he had once started out as an idealistic social reformer, much like Upton Sinclair himself, before turning into an old and isolated reactionary railing against income tax and the reforms of the New Deal. But I don't think it's the only reason. Mank was no longer the Hollywood insider he had once been. He... Uh, at the beginning of the film, ha is uh, unemployed, no longer working at MGM, where he had been uh, an important writer. Uh, and uh, it becomes clear in the course of the film that, uh, that he has a great deal of antipathy towards the Hollywood studios. And certainly that would be uh, another reason for making this film. Uh, thirdly, and perhaps more importantly than the first two, at least in the kind of tragic ambiance in which uh, Gary Oldman conveys most movingly Mankiewicz's character, I think it's clear that he also wanted to redeem himself, both for playing Jester at the court of William Randolph Hearst, but also for squandering in his own eyes his talent in Hollywood for so many years. All in all, Mank is a deeply effective film on many levels as a portrayal, a biographical portrayal of the brilliant but semi-tragic figure of uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz. It is uh, utterly compelling and certainly one of uh, Gary Oldman's very best performances. But it's also very interesting on a socio-political level. Um, uh, and as an evocation of 1930s and early 40s Hollywood, it's superb. Um, shot in black and white, uh, in a really quite glorious and shimmering black and white, I might add. It is almost a kind of pastiche, and I mean that in a good way, of the look of the movie Citizen Kane itself, which of course was, uh, has been enormously influential in the manner in which it was shot, uh, with its deep focus photography, which is mirrored in the movie 
or I should say mirrored by the movie uh, Mank. It's really a complete recreation of a lost era. But it's not just the look of the film that captures this era. It's also the snappy repartee of uh, Mankiewicz and his fellow screenwriters, which um, I think is clearly <laughs> meant to echo the screwball comedies of the 1930s that they, uh, that they often had a hand in writing. Now, Fincher's movie isn't perfect. Close, but not perfect. Um, the screenplay... The screenplay to Mank, it relies a little too heavily on film critic Pauline Kael's now discredited uh, thesis that Mankiewicz was the sole creative force behind the screenplay to Citizen Kane and that Orson Welles himself had no involvement in it. In fact, as portrayed by Tom Burke, Orson Welles in the film Mank is only in a, a very few scenes. And the notion that uh, he wouldn't have been involved in shaping and giving cinematic form to the screenplay, well, that just does not hold up to historical and scholarly scrutiny. Nevertheless, it doesn't prevent uh, Fincher's movie Mank from being really terrifically uh, accomplished and uh, hugely enjoyable. I, I can't really recommend it with that single proviso more highly enough. That's the movie Mank, available to view on Netflix. I'm sure you'll want to see it. It will almost certainly be up for many Academy Award nominations. And my guess is that Gary Oldman will almost certainly win the Best Actor Award. For it. The second title I would like to recommend today is the really terrific uh, Irish miniseries uh, entitled Normal People, which is a 12-part adaptation of Sally Rooney's best-selling novel of the same title. Made by the BBC, it's uh, shot in 30-minute episodes which uh, makes it um, quite easily uh, binge-watchable. And it can be found on the CBC streaming service GEM. That's spelled G-E-M. The story of normal people documents the complicated on-and-off relationship between Connell, played by Paul Mescal, and Marianne, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones. Two young people, and uh, it, it does so over a number of years, in an intimate, if uh, personally quite epic fashion. This is really a love story for the ages. Um, a modern love story for the ages, one that, uh, you know, navigates their love, their lives apart, the loss that uh, each individual you know, has in his or her life. Initially meeting at high school in uh, Slego, a very uh, rural area of Ireland, the two couldn't be more different. Connell is one of the popular kids at school and uh, a star 
Gaelic football player, while uh, Marianne herself is seen to be the smartest kid in class, but uh, very much a loner and someone viewed as a little bit of a weirdo by many of her classmates. So um, right from the start, there's this very interesting uh, dynamic of uh, apparent opposites uh, attracting each other. Now, there's also an interesting class dynamic that's going on in the series as well, um, because Connell's mother is actually um, works as a cleaner in um, Marianne's family's house, and that's how the two meet and strike up a very interesting chemistry, uh, almost from the start, really sparking a kind of secret relationship uh, which will definitely go on to shape both of their lives. And that secrecy in their relationship takes up uh, the better part of the first um, two or three or four episodes. It's been a month or more now since I've seen it, so I'm not quite sure. But it's it's really interesting that um, it's the view of the high school that they share. I, I guess it's true of high schools everywhere where everyone is really quite um, conscious of their social status and what everyone thinks of them. All in all, Normal People is truly a refreshing and authentic uh, look at young love, especially. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, for one, getting a little older these days, so it's uh, kind of uh, hard to remember all of that. But it's really quite wonderful to be reminded of it as well. And so it's impossible, really, not to get swept up in the excitement and trepidation of these two young people falling in love for the first time. Um, their experiences, I mean, they are really universal, of course, and uh, just feel so real. It's an incredibly intimate and beautiful uh, show, but... The romance itself, of course, it 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 takes time, um, and there's a great deal of reality in the time that it takes. Um, but it's also somewhat painful and even frustrating to observe. I I guess as uh, you know, most relationships uh, truly are, and some of the actions and decisions that these two characters take uh, may leave you. Um, you know, a little puzzled at times, <laughs> especially in their clearly often unspoken feelings and various miscommunications, just like in real life. Uh, and it is something that you don't often see in, in um, romantic dramas is, uh, I think, a convincing uh, portrayal of the insecurities that uh, that lovers have and how sometimes it can be so difficult to truly open up uh, with, um, with each other and uh, connect on something more than a superficial basis. And that's something that um, normal people really conveys 
quite beautifully and believably. As I said, their relationship is very much an on and off one, but, um, you know, they, will they, won't they narrative? It, it, it completely hooks you in. I mean, you find yourself genuinely rooting for these two people to see that they clearly belong together. I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, it, 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 and this is all credit to the actors involved in, um, they, they are, I mean, they're, they're each challenging in their own way. I mean, as, uh, characters, but ultimately they're both completely sympathetic and you really just want them to see that they clearly are meant for each other. Nevertheless, this is not a conventional series, so you should expect your expectations to be subverted somewhat. Uh, it's, uh, it's just too honest and real for that. As I said, the, um, the success of Normal People really is most dependent upon the performances of the two young actors involved. Um, the chemistry they strike up is, again, I hate to overuse the word, but it, it, it feels so real. In fact, on a couple of instances, particularly on one occasion, um, the scene feels like, uh, it's a very intimate scene. It feels like, almost like it's an outtake. Um, it feels so real. Anxiety and vulnerability alongside a multitude of longing glances and unspoken words, they're all present throughout normal people. I think it helps that the f the series uh, was so exquisitely well shot. I was going to say film, but uh, the cinema so cinematography is so accomplished. It very much does look like a beautifully shot film. The entirety of the series does not take place in County Slego. From about episode three or four, both Connell and Marianne are in university in Dublin and leading uh, very different lives. Um, there's also... An episode, I think it's episode eight, which is set in uh, Tuscany, in a, a beautifully a hazily shot Tuscany, I might add, uh, in which um, uh, both figures are present with uh, friends, and in this case, uh, at least one other lover, to uh, add complications to a... Uh, continually developing relationship between Connell and Marianne. Uh, it's not just the cinematography, too, that is wonderful. It's also the music. Um, there is, I think, at least one pop song featured in each episode. Maybe most memorably, uh, a version of Level Terrace Apart that is uh, truly a highlight for me and uh, helps convey the deeply evocative emotions at work between the two characters. Now, Normal People is, is just an utterly captivating and rare portrayal of a truly complicated but uh, deeply moving love story. And, and I can pretty much guarantee you that if you give it a chance, it will, uh, it will sweep you off your feet. 
I mean, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll fall in love all over again with both these characters. And you'll fall in love with their love for each other. And your uh, quite sincere hopes that they, uh, that they work it out. Just don't be surprised if you binge watch the entire series in a matter of days. That's the uh, miniseries Normal People, uh, available to view on the CBC streaming site Gem. Okay, finally today, I would just like to recommend a another miniseries um, entitled Penance. That's spelled P-E-N-A-N-C-E, Penance, which is a Japanese miniseries from 2012 made by um, the rather esteemable filmmaker Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who specializes in psychological thrillers. And this is certainly an example of that, although it is set over five episodes amounting to about four and a half hours in total of viewing time. It's a kind of modern day fairy tale complete with an evil fairy godmother of a kind. And certainly the premise is quite intriguing as we catch up with four young women 15 years after they witnessed a friend's murder. And um, Penance utilizes its episodic structure to tell really four individual tales of redemption of a kind as each young woman must eventually gain a kind of forgiveness from the mother of their slain schoolmate for not um, being able to identify uh, the killer. It's not really their fault. They were quite young at the time, and they didn't directly witness the event. But nevertheless, they do feel a great guilt for it. I think the tone of the series is really quite interesting as it's pitched partway between a, um, a kind of um, old folktale and uh, modern-day cold case procedural. Each of the first four episodes uh, catch up with the girls 15 years later, as I said, one by one, um, and involves their interactions with the, uh, the mother of their dead school friend. Um, each is essentially a, a kind of standalone modern day morality tale, um, uh, where what we're in effect seeing is the effect that this uh, unsolved murder has had on each of the uh, four friends of the dead girl. And of course, those effects are not, uh, are rather haunting, but uh, nevertheless um, quite emotionally resonant for those of us watching as we see each of the uh, survivors come to terms with what has happened. What's really being explored, I think, is the concept of grief and how it um, 
manifests itself in the, the four characters, uh, principally involved in experiencing it, these four young women, all very different, uh, 15 years after the event. So really in the first four episodes, what we see is, um, the different outcomes for the same shared trauma. And it's only in episode five that we come to some kind of resolution involving the identity of the killer. But this is no ordinary whodunit. Certainly we're dealing with um, much weightier themes like grief and guilt and lifelong trauma. This must all sound really quite heavy. And I, I suppose it is. Um, there's no escaping that. But it's all rendered somewhat more easily digestible by the dreamlike quality of the uh, cinematography and by the um, fairy tale like uh, treatment of the subject which really combine to a quite unique effect, really like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, this is modern-day Japan, but the uh, that dreamlike quality does really convey a kind of a, a sense of depth and mystery to the events as they unfold. Moody, evocative, and somewhat cerebral, Penance also provides quite a field day, really, for its um, its uh, several actresses, um, who all really do a quite outstanding job in rendering these distinct, quite sharply realized portraits of of, of um, the different lives and emotions and responses to grief on the part of each of the uh, principal characters involved it's uh, and a lot of that a lot of that effectiveness of course has to be attributed to the director uh, of penance uh, kiyoshi kurosawa who's almost as a byproduct also exploring the lives of women in contemporary japanese uh, society as you know, we view each of the four characters interacting with work colleagues, family members, former relationships, all in an everyday, highly believable manner. So that makes uh, penance interesting, too, on the sociological level. And while the lasting effects of trauma that each woman experiences in her own highly individual way is ultimately the subject of the series, it is uh, all done, all treated in a very subtle context of similar but quite distinct everyday lives. And for this reason, I think we come to feel quite deeply for these fully realized characters as they work out or just come to terms with their trauma. And taken on their individual merits, each episode is really quite 
meticulously well constructed and certainly beautifully performed by all of the actresses involved. Kiyoshi Kurosawa has always been a director fascinated with the consequences of isolation in contemporary society. So it, in many ways, this series is really quite fitting for our own pandemic times and certainly penance, although, um, made in 2012, uh, it uh, really plays right into those strengths. Each episode, I, I think, reinforces this idea that a, uh, a single moment of tragedy is not an isolated event, and that this one moment can have um, haunting consequences that reach deep into the lives of potentially many characters for a great many years to come. That's the series Penance, available to view in five episodes on the library's Canopy streaming service. Okay, that's all for now, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this installment of Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. Please join me next time for more movie and television talk. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at codesaintluke.org or by means of the library's Facebook page or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now.